Wow, it's so very encouraging to look out and see all of you here. Thank you for being here. It's my prayer that by the time you leave this place, you will be motivated to not just fit in. I want to show you one of the most inspirational pictures I've ever seen. This is a picture of a man named August Landsbusser. He, he was a German. In 1931, he actually joined the Nazi party. 1933, he fell in love with a Jewish woman. He was barred from the party. 1936, there's this dedication of this ship. If you could pan out further, you'd see thousands of people all raising that right arm in salute to Hitler, except August Landmesser, who stands there without raising his hand. He paid a great price for that. He was put in a concentration camp himself for three years. His wife would be murdered in a gas chamber because he had the courage to stand and to not salute when everybody else was. We would say about him, he was not a chameleon. He didn't just fit in and change colors everywhere he went. Let's look at a chameleon just for a moment. That's quite a fascinating animal. You see, number one, they're about five inches long. Their tongue's about seven inches long. And they can pick an insect off almost any limb in a split second. Their eyes, both of their eyes, pivot separately. But of course, the most famous thing about a chameleon is what? Their what changes? Their colors. I mean, a chameleon can be all kinds of colors. They can be yellow. They can be orange, red, green blue, or even purple. One more click and you won't even see me. I'll just fit into the wall, okay? (laughs) Just, Just an amazing animal that can do all these things. But we don't take it as a compliment when someone would say to us, he or she is a chameleon. Because all that means is I change colors everywhere I go, and I probably really don't know who I am. So let me give you two points to start with this morning. First of all, a chameleon lives to please people. And a Christian lives to please God. Now let me try to frame this from a couple verses in Romans chapter 12. In Romans chapter 12 verse 10, the apostle Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Uh, Some translations say, don't let the world press you into its mold. There's all kinds of pressure on us throughout history to be just like the world. And today we have this problem, if we're not just like it, we might even be canceled. And Paul says, don't conform. But then if you go later in the chapter, he says something I think important in our discussion. Verse 18, as much as possible, live at peace with all men. This is my translation, don't be a jerk. Somebody say that with me. Don't be a jerk. How many of you have ever known a Christian jerk? Almost everybody in here, all right? But sometimes if we're not careful in the name of Jesus, we come across as judgmental and obnoxious. And Paul says, no, 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 no. As much as possible, it may be impossible, you may have to stand up by yourself, but as much as possible, live at peace with all men. We're supposed to be different, peculiar, holy, but in an attractive way. You see, all of us are dealing with here this urge to fit in. It's a part of all of our makeup. Now, part of it's good. Is it good to be liked? Is it good to be pleasing? Yes. 
but it's like every good quality turned on its head, it can become dangerous. And you've seen all kinds of illustrations about this. Many of you may be old enough to remember an old show called Candy Camera, Candid Camera, where they would just catch people in scenes and see how they react. One of the most famous was about an elevator. And they have a man on the first floor to get in the elevator, and the doors come open, and he walks in the elevator. And like all of us, he turns back toward the doors. But on the second floor, they send three people in, and they don't turn toward the door. They all turn toward the back of the elevator. And you can watch in the shot as this guy's trying to figure out what to do. The next floor, someone else comes on the elevator, and now there's four people facing the wall. A hundred percent of the time, the first person who got on the elevator will turn and face the wall with them. Isn't that crazy? But yet we've all been in that position where we did things we would have never done before except for the people around us. Let's look at a lot of passages about this in the Bible. Exodus 23, verse 2. Do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. As Scripture says, the broad way leads to destruction. The small way, the narrow way leads to life. Don't follow the crowd. Uh, Jesus said about some people who didn't follow him, for they love human praise more than the praise from God. The Apostle Paul makes it clear in Galatians 1, the eternal difference this makes. He says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I'm still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. My friends, if we succumb to this urge to serve people and to please people, to fit in, it's not a good idea. Here's probably the most famous verse about this. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good morals. It's so easy when we find ourselves surrounded by people who are not doing the right thing. Let me give you an illustration I read this week. There's a, a man named Miles McPherson who played as a linebacker for the San Diego Chargers. And he talks about, as a rookie, what happened to him. Let me just read. He said, I was a defensive back playing for the Chargers and living the life I always wanted. I'll never forget the day I walked in a hotel room occupied by six veterans who were partying. The pressure to get along, to fit in, was overwhelming. So when these guys pulled out cocaine and passed it around, I knew I had the decision to make, to take part or to be left out. The cocaine that I consumed that night took me by the labels, labels and forced me into submission. Soon enough, I was co- completely under its control. There I was at the top of the sports world, playing on TV every Sunday and enjoying a big, nice, fat contract. And yet every chance I got, I drove myself to the seediest neighborhood of the city and paid good money to a dealer who sold me poison. That's a pretty crazy case. But I guarantee you there's many people in here that can relate to that. The the good thing about this is that later this man becomes a Christian because of the influence of other teammates. But you see, it's so easy to just want to fit in. In fact, we see so many characters in Scripture who mess things up because that's their motivation. Look at Pilate, Mark chapter 15, wanting to satisfy the crowd. Pilate released Barabbas to them. 
he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Guess Pilate knew that Jesus was not guilty. But because of the crowd, he did something he would have never, ever done before. Guys, this is powerful. Now, we can sort of discount Pilate because he's one of the bad guys of Scripture. But I want to introduce you to what I call two of the great chameleons in the Bible. Two people who did incredible things for God who yet at points were chameleons. Number one would be Peter. And we're all familiar with that scene where Jesus is on trial And Peter wants to stand up for Jesus and stand out, but because of the people around him, he denies even knowing Jesus. And Peter got over that and did some really bold things. But we see this same problem, like for all of us, hit us again, hit Peter again in Galatians chapter 2. He's at a church that's a Gentile church, having a great time with them, and then some Jewish people from Jerusalem come who aren't so sure the Gentiles are even Christians. And Paul withdraws himself from the Gentiles and will only fellowship with the Jewish people. It was so hypocritical that Paul calls him out. That's one example. Another example of the great chameleons in Scripture is none other than Solomon. You know, there's all kinds of good things we can say about Solomon this morning. When he was given an opportunity to ask God for any gift, he asked for wisdom. And he became the wisest man who ever lived. He wrote three wisdom books in Scripture. He built the temple that his dad couldn't even build. Solomon was a great man of Scripture. But Solomon got himself in trouble. Now, as we talk about Solomon, he was one of those guys that I would say was a go home or go big. I mean, everything Solomon did was supersized. And we'll see even his sin. When, when, when he's looking for sin, Solomon goes to Costco, okay? He, he's going to get as much of it as possible. So go with your Bibles with me to 1 Kings chapter 11, and let's watch this sad story of this great man who seeks to fit in and walks away from God. Verse 1, King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, that's his first wife, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. God has said, the closer you are to someone, the more impactful they'll be on your life. So especially when you're choosing a husband or a wife, choose someone who shares your faith. Solomon disregarded that big time. How big? Look at verse 3. He had 700 wives of royal birth, 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. Let's not even fool with the concubines for a moment. Because this dude has 700 wives. He's talking about a record keeper. I mean, this guy breaks all records. There's no comparison in all the Bible with someone who has 700 wives. Can you imagine what his house was like? Do you want to? I mean, how in the world does he please all these women? Uh, How much nagging and jealousy do you think might be going on in this house? I I would think a lot, wouldn't you? I love Andy Stanley's quote. 700 wives. Think about that. 700 mother-in-laws. What was he thinking? 
Apparently, he wasn't. Guys, this guy is led in the second half of his life away from God. Keep reading. Go to verse 4. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. This super spiritual man, a writer of the books of the Bible, a builder of the temple, is led away by these wives to worship idols. It's unbelievable. Now, here's what I believe. I don't think Solomon ever came to a point in his life where he just decided, I'm going to rebel against God. No, he just surrounded himself with people and not the right people to a point where this urge to fit in took over his life. He rebelled against God and worships foreign idols. Now, guys, I think we should say from this, we don't need to get arrogant here. Because none of us are beyond this. If someone as strong as Solomon, someone as strong as Peter could fall to that kind of peer pressure. Sometimes we want to act like peer pressure is just a teen problem. I'm telling you guys, it's worse than adults. It's just more subtle. And, and the greatest characters of scriptures who fall away from God, they do it in the second half of their life. And so that's exactly what Solomon did. Guys, none of us are beyond this. Let me, let me just share, so, so you'll be okay with this, a really embarrassing story happened to me the other day. I was speaking at a men's conference. There were about 50 men there. It was really great. And um, one speaker got up, and he was trying to illustrate that all of us are sinners, okay? Which, that's true, right? And so he said, to prove his point, how many of you were virgins when you got married? And everybody laughed because his line was, of course none of us were virgins, of course and then he said, if you were a virgin, raise your hand. Nobody raised their hand, including myself, even though my wife and I were virgins when we got married. I'm embarrassed by that. And guys, it can happen to any of us. We're in that moment where everybody's looking and everybody's laughing, and I've got to take a stand. Even Solomon could do that. So don't assume you're beyond that. Now, how do we resist this? Well, this is the interesting part of our lesson. We're going to use Solomon's own advice to resist this urge to fit in. What's so ironic is that Solomon gives you the tools to not fit in in one of his most famous books, Proverbs. Now, before we go there, let me tell you what I like to believe. What I really like to believe is Solomon lived this horrendous life, and then he wrote Proverbs because he'd finally gotten wise enough. The truth is, Proverbs was probably written at the beginning. And so here's what we learned about Solomon, and here's something we've all got to watch. Solomon thought he was above the rules. You ever met someone who thought the rules applied to everybody else but not them? That's what Solomon did. And he got himself in trouble. But today, ironically, we can go to Solomon for our first tool in this series of how to overcome this urge. And the, the, the key there is good friends. You see, we all know that negative peer pressure to do the wrong thing comes from wrong friends. Positive peer pressure to do the right thing comes from having true friends. Now, what's the difference? Let me just go ahead and say this. A true friend is more concerned with pleasing God than they are their friend. That's the difference. 
A true friend says, you know, I like you and I want you to like me and we're great friends, but it's even more important for me that we please God. And so that's going to lead to some challenging. What are those friends like? Let me give you some points real quickly. True friends, first of all, are chosen. Solomon puts the contrast this way. Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Paul said, you've got a choice in your friends. Now, let's all be honest. You don't really have a choice of who your family is. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if that's a good thing or a bad thing. All right? I mean, for good or bad, you're stuck with your family. But your friends come by choice. And Solomon said, you can either choose wise friends that help you become better, or you can choose foolish friends who lead you in the wrong direction. And here's the thing. Your choice will determine the large part the direction of your life. I mean, Solomon gives some illustrations, like in, in chapter 22, he says, don't become friends with an angry man, or you will pick up on their anger. You ever done that? Maybe you have a friend that's really negative, very critical, always angry, always done wrong everywhere he or she's been, and before long, you've hung out with them long enough that you begin to develop those attitudes. Solomon says, be really careful about that. That's not the kind of friends you want to choose. In another place, he says, don't choose people who drink too much wine. How many of us have got ourselves in trouble? Because we've hung out with people who like to drink a lot of alcohol, and it put us down that wrong path. So be careful that you choose the right friends. Now, second point, true friends are constant. Solomon says this, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for time of adversity. This is the powerful thing about a great friend. They're friends on your really good days, and they're friends on your really bad days. They're just there for you. Now, to develop this kind of friendship, it takes time. And I would say for many of us men, that's a challenge. I was in a men's class this past um, group this past Wednesday night, and we were talking about having challenging relationships spiritually. And one thing became very obvious as we talked is not many of us have those. Because these take time, and they take vulnerability. But what Solomon say is, you need that person who's going to be constant in your life. Do you have that kind of friend? Third point, true friends are candid. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. What's he saying here, guys? Your true friend is not the person who just flatters you. They're they're not the person who just kisses up to you, we'd say. It's the person honest enough to say to you, this is not good. I love what Oscar Wilde, the writer, says. A true friend stabs you in the front. Don't you like that? Why? Because who do you have in your life that if you start drinking too much is going to say something to you? Who do you have in your life? You're, you're flirting with people that aren't your spouse that's going to call you out. Who do you have in your life that cares enough about you when your language becomes not of God, not full of grace? will say, buddy, you need to stop it. Who do you have in your life when you stop going to church will say, you need to get back to church, or you stop reading the Bible, you need to spend that time with God, or you start developing an arrogant spirit who says, buddy, you're just becoming arrogant. All of us need that kind of friend. In fact, I love a quotation from Gordon McDonald. 
There's a certain niceness to a friendship where I can be, as they say, myself. But what I really need is a relationship where I can be encouraged to be better than myself. Amen? Can I ask you, do you have that kind of friendship? Someone who actually challenges you to be better. Because here's the final point here from Proverbs. True friends are life-changing. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. You become better. And guys, this is the principle. What I love about what we're doing right here is we spent the first half of our lesson talking about how this principle plays against us. That we get ourselves in trouble because we hang around the wrong people. We make them our best friends. But here's what I love. We can take Satan's strategy, turn it over on its head, and come out and use the same principle to change our life. Now, let me, I'm going to show you a picture of four young men in this church I have a lot of respect for. And, and I asked them this week because I, I watched them grow up in this church. I, asked, I watched them in our youth ministry be incredible leaders. And they developed this really, really close friendship. You know, you can see them up there. And I asked them what was so special about their friendship. Every one of them is a high school graduate. is now off in college. They're not all together. But they could still tell me the difference. It was made and is making. Let me read some of these. Carson says, without J.T., Clay, and Dylan, I wouldn't be who I am today. Each one plays a different but equally important role in my life. They all challenge me to step out of my comfort zone and support me in whatever I do. By seeing their faith, I'm challenged to deepen mine. And I'm constantly encouraged each day to live a life that brings honor to God. How many teenagers do you ever hear talk that way? That's amazing. Listen to what Dylan said. I don't think I'd be where I am without J.T. Clay and Carson. Their faith pushed me to be a better man. I see how they carry themselves and how they interact with others. And that's what I wanted for my life. Those guys are the guys I go to with my insecurities, my fears, my doubts, and they always are quick to help. God has blessed me. Listen to, to Clay. JT, Carson, and Dylan have really shaped who I am today. I was so fascinated how, how closely all of their answers match. Probably they cheated. All right. <laughs> These three guys constantly show me Jesus in so many ways. They serve as constant motivation to act out my faith. Simple conversation with these guys just sets my heart in the right place and gets my heart on fire for God. And then listen to what JT said, not even knowing what we were talking about today. I'm so grateful for Carson, Clay, and Dylan and the way each of them impacts my walk with God. Having good, faithful friends definitely helps me battle temptations. Through seeing the way each of them walk faithfully with God helps me desire the same in my life. They help me see that I don't have to find belonging in this world by fitting in. Could you guys give, the, a lot of those guys are here this morning, give those guys a hand. I'm sorry if you just felt a peer pressure, all right, but... I love that because, guys, we all know the incredible amount of temptation facing teenagers today. For many of us, it's, it's, it's higher 
because of their access to so much than what any of us faced. And if they can live that way, it's a challenge to us as adults who fall under this same kind of pressure to do wrong for us to stand and to be counted and to have the kind of friends that Solomon said you should have had and then Solomon actually rejected. I like how one writer says, when we talk about we must fight this urge to fit in, he says this, you're the average, you are the average of your five people you spend the most time with. Can I ask you, are the five people you spend the most time with helping you become more like Jesus or less like Jesus? So as we close this service, I want to give you time to pray about this. So I'm going to invite all of our elders and spouses and ministers and spouses to surround the stage. A couple of them will go back to the back corners. I see the Kirklands back there ready to pray with someone. But in just a moment, if you're our guest today, this is something we love to do is just give that opportunity for people to pray with someone. Because what we're talking about today, I I think candidly, is something that we all face. And today, all you got to do is come up to one of these people, give them your name, tell them what you're struggling with, and ask them to pray for you. So here's the questions I want you to think about the next couple moments. Are you falling to, or are you fighting that urge to fit in? Can I ask you, are there some things you're doing in your life that if someone had predicted 10, 20 years ago you would be that way, you would have said, no way. But because you've surrounded yourself with people who do those kind of things. Guys, this this is not just true out in the world. This is true in the church. Do you select fired up people in the church to be closest to? Because if you choose lukewarm people, I guarantee you, you hang out long enough, you will become lukewarm. So here's maybe a better way to put this question. In your life, are you just blending in? You've learned that ability to sort of change colors everywhere you go. And so you just sort of blend in. Guys, let me tell you this. We all do it differently. We have not been called by God to just blend in. Our lives are be distinctively different. Yet many of you know at school how easy it is just to try to blend in. Many of us at work or even our family or in the church, we know how easy it is to blend in. But today, if you see this as an issue, number one, don't be surprised. We all struggle with this. I certainly include myself. But if today you want someone to pray with you about that, this is a great day to do that. Because today could be a day when you start fighting the urge to fit in. You see, look at this passage we looked at a little bit earlier ago from 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 6. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not completely follow the, he did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. Anybody a little taken back by that verse? Well, why? Because it's not like David was perfect. David had lots of trouble, including women trouble. That got him in a lot of trouble. But what's the difference between David and Solomon? The difference is David got up, surrounded himself with the right people. He had a Nathan, a Nathan in his life who challenged him when he blew it. I don't see that in Solomon's life. We talked about Peter earlier. Peter ends up being one of the great guys in Scripture. Why? Because he had a Paul in his life who said, you're not acting in line with the gospel. I ask you, do you have that person? Because here's the question we'll close on. Will you, 
Well, your story in like David's or Solomon. These are two great men of God, a father and a son. And despite all of David's frailty and all of his failures, today we can say David was a man after God's own heart. And about Solomon, we have to say, he's a man whose heart was turned by God, turned from God by the wrong people, and he never recovered. So this morning, as we sing this song in just a moment, if you need someone to pray for you, we're not going to say this out loud. You don't have to confess behold the whole church. Just tell somebody. Or I know there are people here today that are contemplating being baptized, of starting a brand new life, of not only surrounding yourself with the right friends, but being full of the Holy Spirit and letting Jesus be your best friend. That'll be the most powerful thing that will ever transform you. So this morning while we celebrate and sing, if you need to be baptized, meet me up here. Or if you'd like us to pray for you, don't hesitate. Just come forward, give us your name, back to the back or up here, and let's pray for you right here on the spot. And God will bless you to be that person who stands up and stands out even when everybody else is caving. Come if you need to right now while we stand and sing.